0: Welcome to Off the Record. I'm your host, Marika Day, dietitian, nutritionist, recovering perfectionist, and founder of Fueled by Marika Day. Join me here each week as we delve into what it really means to be a healthy and happy human. You'll hear from conversations with experts in their fields to raw and real chats about aspects of health and life that we really don't hear enough about. You'll be left feeling inspired, educated, and empowered to be the best version of you. So sit back, relax, or head on out for your walk and let's dive on in. Hey everyone, welcome back to Off The Record. Thank you so much for tuning in and also a massive thank you to everyone who tuned into last fortnight's episode with Priya, Dr. Priya, we were speaking about PCOS. Um, we got some incredible feedback on that episode. So I really appreciate all of those of you who listened and particularly those that shared it with others or shared it online. It really does help when you share the podcast. So again, thank you so much. Now, this week's episode is quite specific. We are talking about celiac disease and Even more specific than just celiac disease, we're talking about the may contain traces statements that you might find on some packages of food. And again, even more specifically, we're going to be talking about here in Australia. I'll mention, you know, the differences internationally and why this is actually important. Um, But yes, this conversation is quite specific to those who have celiac disease or who work with people who have celiac disease or family members with celiac disease, essentially anyone who has anything to do with someone with celiac disease, which when we think about the odds of getting celiac disease, it's about 1 in 70. So we probably all know somebody who has celiac disease. So what I'm saying is it's very niche content, but it's important for us to all know. Now, I have celiac disease myself and have for quite some time. I'm just trying to think I was diagnosed in 2008, I believe. So it's been a very long time. And obviously, I am a dietitian as well. So celiac disease is something that um, I feel like I'm quite well read on, I'm quite educated on, and I kind of know like the back of my hand. And when it comes to may contain traces statements, I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to record a podcast talking about this because it's far more detailed than just a, you know, Instagram post or a blog post in our field, um, in our field app. So, I was like, okay, I'll just sit down and record it. And I sat down and I started sort of thinking about what I was going to say. And I was like, oh, I need to do some more research. And then I got lost in a rabbit hole of research and I actually come out probably a little bit more confused or a little, not confused, a little bit less certain than I probably was prior, which I actually think is a good thing. And I've learned some really, um, really interesting things from the research that I did over the last week or so, looking at um, these may contain traces statements and how much like, gluten contamination and cross-contamination occurs both in restaurants, in the home and also in like manufacturing processes. So like for example at farms or at mills or at processing plants. So there's so many steps where gluten can um, get cross-contaminated essentially with a gluten-free product or with a gluten-free like a naturally gluten-free grain or cereal. So to begin this episode I'm going to talk about how much gluten and like what is considered gluten-free in different countries because I think it's really important to define what we are talking about when we label something as gluten-free and the really interesting thing is that it's not the same around the world. So most authorities around the world define gluten-free as a product that contains less than 20 parts per million So that means it's less than 20 milligrams of gluten per kilogram of the product. So Spain, the UK, USA, Italy, Canada, all of these places define gluten-free as less than 20 parts per million or 20 milligrams per kilogram. Now, Australia and New Zealand are different in this. Australia and New Zealand have gone stricter and said that in order for a product to be labelled gluten-free, it must have less than three parts per million, so less than three milligrams per kilogram of the product that has gluten. So the reason why I bring this up is because we need to consider this when we're thinking about is a product gluten-free? are we speaking about is it gluten-free in the UK, Italy, Canada, the US, or is it gluten-free in Australia or New Zealand? Because there is a relatively significant difference between three parts per million, so three milligrams per kilogram and 20 milligrams per kilogram. That's obviously a significant difference. And most of the research that has been done in celiac disease is done internationally like there are some really interesting australian studies but obviously australian population is smaller Um, we are quite well i guess researched in the sense that we have some really really fine institutions in australia that are doing research but just because of our population size and everything we don't have you know the breadth of research that other countries around the world may have like for example the usa and canada Um, So I think it's really important to consider when we are thinking about this, that the definition of gluten-free is potentially a little bit looser than it is in Australia, because here in Australia, we are super duper strict. Now, whether this super duper strict is a good thing or not is a whole other argument in itself. And it genuinely, like this may contain traces statement um, argument, it genuinely is an argument in the sense that there's pros and cons for it. So there's pros to us being more strict, but there's also downsides to us being more strict in that companies become more fearful of cross-contamination because we can test and we can, you know, accuse people of um, gluten contamination when it is, say, for example, five parts per million. That's not safe here in Australia, but it would be in the States. And so what that leads to is, In Australia, we're getting more and more products saying may contain traces because if we're thinking about it, even 20 parts per million is still trace. Like it's a tiny amount of gluten that we're talking about. But in Australia, even though that would be gluten-free somewhere else around the world, it would still be considered a gluten-containing product or may contain traces of gluten product. Now, I know it's really confusing when we talk about like what is actually – like 20 milligrams per kilogram or 20 parts per million or what is three parts per million. So I'm going to define this in the way that the research has sort of identified what it looks like in terms of something that we can quantify as human beings, not as researchers who know exactly what 20 parts per million looks like. So they say that several crumbs, so uh, I guess a small scattering of crumbs, contains around 6 to 10 milligrams of gluten. Now, if we're thinking in the parts per million, so that would be like saying 6 to 10 milligrams. So if we're thinking, let's say 6 to 10 parts per million would be a couple of crumbs in a kilogram of a product. So let's get a kilogram of bread of gluten-free bread and we sprinkle a couple of crumbs so several crumbs into that kilogram of gluten-free breadcrumbs for example that's how much approximately we're talking when we're talking about sort of six to ten milligrams of gluten so if we think about that in the US in UK Canada Italy their their threshold is 20 so I guess double that and ours is three parts per million so about half that so it's like one crumb essentially in a kilogram of products whereas in the states they're allowing for several crumbs essentially so this makes it really hard for us to say well what is safe for people with celiac disease because we have I guess a variety of different legislations around the world and then Obviously, uh, as a result of that, a variety of different intakes of gluten around the world. And again, I'm speaking specifically about people with celiac disease here because even though we say with celiac disease, you must follow a strict gluten-free diet for life the chances of you getting traces of gluten in your diet are like that. that is a risk that is present and it's a risk that we want to minimize as much as possible but when we are talking about parts per million like we're talking about minute pieces of gluten pieces or minute bits of gluten that are in our food that we may not know about that we are getting exposed to potentially on a daily or a weekly basis and as I said we want to make sure we're minimizing this so that we can maximize our recovery as a celiac but the amount that the human body can tolerate with celiac disease is really hard to define and the the truth of the matter is that and this is what's sort of come out from the research is that there is i guess a spectrum of how much gluten somebody with celiac disease can tolerate and that amount of gluten we are talking in like the the crumbs minute Figures. So it's not like saying you know someone with celiac disease might be able to tolerate one piece of bread or one biscuit or something. We're talking about someone with celiac disease might be able to have a few crumbs and not get any intestinal damage, whereas somebody else with celiac disease might not be able to have those few crumbs, and or if they do have those few crumbs, they will get damage to their small intestines. And so I think now is probably a good time to re-emphasize why it is so important that we do follow a strict gluten-free diet for life is because it is actually doing damage to the lining of our intestines, which then leads to increased risk of cancers as well as um, reduced nutrient absorption and many other side effects and symptoms as you probably would have had prior to diagnosis. The really interesting thing and the reason why we do want to be super strict with our diet when we are a celiac is that most people are asymptomatic so they don't get symptoms despite getting intestinal damage so whether you get symptoms or not eating let's say for example you went to a burger joint and you got a gluten-free burger but there was traces of gluten and like significant traces of gluten to the point where it was doing damage to your intestinal lining you don't necessarily need to have symptoms in order for you to get that damage. So whether you feel sick or bloated or, you know, whatever your symptoms are after being glutened, that doesn't need to occur in order for you to get damage. You can get damage to the lining of your intestines without getting any symptoms, which is really, I guess, scary as a celiac because you think, oh, well, if I didn't feel sick from it, then that place that I went to or that meal that I ate must have been a safe meal. But we really don't know at the end of the day. And that's what makes it so hard as a celiac is that there is a layer of trusting others and there is a layer of um, making educated and informed guesses. And I guess this is what this podcast is about is how can we be as informed as possible so that when we are purchasing products that, say, may contain traces or when we are eating out at restaurants or at family's places and friends' places – We are making the best decisions that we can to ensure that our risk of cross-contamination is incredibly low. One other thing that is really interesting is that even the, which is not surprising, but even the antibody concentrations, so like the blood tests you get done for celiac disease, are not reliable at telling us whether the person's ingested gluten. So even if you, um, like let's say you got glutened but you didn't, get any symptoms and then the next day or a few days later you went and got your antibodies tested and it didn't show an elevation in antibodies again there still could be damage to the mucosal damage sorry to the um the intestines without those bloods being elevated so we are talking about really small amounts that can be doing damage in celiac disease and again why i stress the importance of following as strict gluten-free diet as possible um, for life with celiac disease. When we look to the research, we want to think about how much gluten can a person with celiac disease consume and not do damage to the gut lining. And uh, as I mentioned, the research here is varied because it does vary from person to person, and there is different tolerances of gluten intake in celiac disease from person to person. but on average, what we look at from the research is that it is around seven milligrams of gluten per day. So it's absolutely less than 10 milligrams per day, but they sort of estimate around seven milligrams in most celiac disease in most people with celiac disease will elicit a, um, an autoimmune response and cause that mucosal damage. So again, going back to that example of what does the six to 10 milligrams a day um, or six to 10 milligrams of gluten look like it is a couple of small fine crumbs so it's not much but what i'm saying is that there is a very minute like it's we're talking in the matter of crumbs tolerability of gluten in those with celiac disease now this is not me saying going out go out and you know don't worry about crumbs and traces as i said it's a very small amount and it is very individualized and it also builds up over time, So, for example, if you have several milligrams every single day, then you are going to see a greater response and that will potentially lead to damage to the intestines as well. And we need to consider this when we are thinking about these may contain traces statements because we need to consider how much gluten are we having? Like, what is the load? How frequently are we having it? And like what is the effect going to be on us? Uh, when we don't know whether we're going to get symptoms or not, when we're not sure that a symptom is a reliable indicator of damage. Now, I want to also give reference. So, as I said, around sort of under 10 milligrams per day, uh, gluten is what the research says potentially does not cause damage in celiac disease. If we compare that to the typical Western diet of what somebody who is not gluten-free and doesn't have celiac disease the amount of gluten that the average westerner consumes is about 10 to 20 grams per day so as i said in celiac disease we want to be well and truly less than 10 milligrams per day the average westerner has 10 to 20 grams of gluten per day so it is very very significant difference um, when we're talking about the quantity of gluten in the diet between somebody who is obviously following a gluten-free diet and somebody who is um, not following a gluten-free diet All right, we're 15 minutes in and we're getting to the May Contain Traces statements. So in Australia, I'm going to speak specifically around our labeling laws here in Australia. So like I said, it has to be less than three parts per million for them to be able to label it gluten-free. But you can have a product that uh, doesn't have the label gluten-free, but is just gluten-free by ingredients. So for example, it might be something like rice, which doesn't have any gluten-containing ingredients in it. It doesn't say gluten-free on it because they've never tested it, but the assumption is that it would be gluten-free. Then the other category of products we have are products that don't have any gluten-containing ingredients, but then they put this statement on there saying may contain traces of gluten. Now, this is not like a legally required statement, so it's not something that's brought on by legislation. Rather, it is from the companies themselves, and they are putting that there because they believe that there are instances where uh, cross-contamination could have occurred. So whether it be in the production, whether it be in manufacturing, whether it be in processing, you know, there's so many different steps along the way where this cross-contamination may have occurred. Um, What I want to stress though is it doesn't mean that the factory doesn't have like cleaning processes and protocols in place to reduce the risk of cross-contamination. From my experience, a lot of the companies um, do have processes and protocols and sometimes really complex ones in place, yet they still use these may contain traces. And that's where I guess this confusion has come up is, well, can celiacs have it? Because our companies just trying to cover their asses and say that, they're not going to be liable if gluten is detected in it particularly in australia when our our um, requirement for gluten free that three parts per million is so strict compared to the rest of the world are these companies just slapping the label on it saying may contain traces just in case And as I said before, it's really frustrating for someone with celiac disease because we don't want this happening if there's not gluten in there because it restricts us further. The may contain traces statements, the safest thing that you could do as a celiac is avoid that product. Um, And speaking as a dietitian, that is something that I would advise in particular people with newly diagnosed celiac disease to do is to avoid all products that say may contain traces because it makes the process easier in a way in that if you see that it says may contain traces or you see that it says contains gluten, then you avoid that product and you go for ones that don't have those statements. Now, the reason why I say it like this is because the more you learn about celiac disease and the more confident you become with it, you can inquire to companies and find out more about what are these processes that they've got in place and why they've got that labeling there. As someone with new celiac disease, it's already really, really overwhelming and you may not want to be calling up companies like Cadbury or whatever it is to find out what their protocols are um, in terms of cross-contamination with gluten or why they've got those labels on there. So that's the reason why I specify newly diagnosed. Sometimes it can just be easier just to say, I will never have or I will not for now have anything that says may contain traces. Now, this is also the – a lot of the governing bodies around the world when it comes to celiac disease, they say that may contain traces, foods should be avoided unless you've spoken to the company and you are confident in their – I guess their cleaning practices or their protocols around cross-contamination so that you know that that risk is really, really low. Um, Otherwise, avoiding that product – So we had a few people um, when I spoke about this on Instagram, we had a few people saying that they'd had dietitians saying that you should, you know, celiacs don't need to worry about the may contain traces, that it's just like a Band-Aid covering their asses. But I disagree with that. But I only disagree with it to an extent because I think it is really important to be able to make these informed choices. And I know this is not the answer that, you know, me just coming on here and saying no don't eat them or yes eat them I think it's really important that we make decisions for ourselves based on the risk that we are like willing to take in terms of our intestinal health and for me that risk is really low like I'm you know I I don't want to increase my risk of cancers and I don't want to you know reduce my fertility and all those sorts of things that come with the damage that we get from gluten as a celiac. I am therefore relatively strict uh, when it comes to these may contain traces statements and I make sure that if I'm going to be consuming them that I've been in touch with the companies to be happy with their protocols in place um, when it comes to the cross-contamination. The other thing that I, again, personally consider um, as somebody with celiac, and this is not what I'm advising um, other people to do, this is certainly just based on um, what I do myself is I think about what does this company produce and manufacture like what are the risks of gluten being in this factory and a really good example of this for me uh, was the yopro so yopro have may contain state may contain traces statements on um, many of their products not all of them I think it's just on the tubs so not on the squeezy tubes or not on the big tubs just on the um, individual tubs now when I saw this I was like oh okay well what is the risk here what are the gluten-containing ingredients that um, are produced in that factory and I mean this is I guess a bit of a odd example because I've actually been to the factory myself (laughs) Um, but the risk here is that some of the Yopro products contain oats Um, It may have actually changed recently because I don't even know if they do produce products that contain oats, but they used to produce uh, the breakfast oats, sachets, yogurt oats and Yopro. I forget what it was called, but yeah, they used to produce them um, where you'd get the yogurt and the oats combined. And so the risk here was that the gluten was coming because there was oats within the factory where they're producing those tubs. And you know, seeing factory processes and everything, I recognized, you know, what happens between cleaning and um, changing around the pro- production line so that the next um, production can come on. And then for me, so this is again a, a whole nother podcast entirely, but oats and whether they are safe in celiac disease is a very controversial topic and um, I have got a good post on our Fueled by Marika Day Instagram um, page discussing this but essentially for me because I've done the biopsy testing to confirm that I can consume pure oats for me that meant that for something like Yopro where the oats were the contaminant is that the risk was so minute because oats in their purest form I can consume because I've done the process in order to be able to check that I can consume them. So, the risk is that the oats may contain traces of gluten and that the yogurt may contain traces of oats. So, therefore, the risk of the amount of gluten in the Yopro was like double may contain traces if that makes sense because it may contain traces of oats which may contain traces of gluten so for me that was I guess far enough of a stretch for me to go you know what the risk here is relatively low Um, and again that risk is really personal for me because I know that I can tolerate pure wheat free oats so I was happy to make that decision now the other thing that we need to consider when we're making decisions about well am I going to consume this product that says may contain traces is the frequency of consumption because as I mentioned earlier in the episode there is I guess a um, compounding effect or gluten is like the damage done by gluten is dose dependent so the more gluten we eat the more damage it does. So if you are eating 10 may contain traces statement um, products every single day, then there is a far higher risk that you're actually getting exposed to gluten than if you eat one may contain traces uh, product a week. And I think, again, as a dietitian and as a celiac, that this is something that we actually do need to consider when we are making these decisions around uh, foods that say may contain traces. Because, Again, it all comes back down to a risk analysis, and we've got to consider what is the risk to us if we consume this product. And as I said, the amount of gluten that we consume, I'm losing my voice. <clears throat> the amount of gluten we consume is a really significant factor in this, and therefore, the more frequently we consume it, the more likely that we are going to get it exposed. So if you are a celiac who does choose to consume products that, say, may contain traces, my very strong recommendation would be is to make sure that you're not consuming them super frequently because they do add up to a a source of, I guess, gluten exposure. And then when we compound that with potentially exposure that we're getting in restaurants or cafes or um, other people's homes that we don't have, again, as much control over it can be certainly adding up and having an impact on the mucosal damage. So I'm going to finish off with the final thing, which was the thing that I found so interesting from the research that I did this past week is around which products contain more gluten. And this shocked me. So I'm talking about like products that you would think are gluten-free or are labeled gluten-free, uh, and how much gluten they contain. So this is based on um, a couple of studies that did testing of uh, the gluten contamination in both gluten-free labelled products and uh, naturally gluten-free products. Oh, my God, I've said gluten-free so many times this episode that I'm getting confused. Um, so let's think about like naturally gluten-free products would be things like lentils or buckwheat or, you know, those grains that are gluten-free. Um just because they are gluten-free and then gluten-free labelled products. So it might be something like gluten-free bread or gluten-free crackers. Um, So something that's been specifically manufactured to be gluten-free. Now, the risk is from the research that products that were naturally gluten-free were actually more likely to contain traces of gluten than products that were labelled gluten free. So things like, and this is exact examples from the study, uh, buckwheat was one of them, and lentils and legumes was the other one. They are far more likely to be um, containing gluten in uh, in trace amounts, so in you know in cross contamination amounts. So it's not in huge amounts, but interestingly, some of them were in relatively significant amounts still. Um, those products were more likely to contain gluten than say, for example, a gluten-free labeled bread, which on reflection does make sense because if it's labeled gluten-free, they probably have a lot stricter protocols in place to ensure that the plant and everything is gluten-free. Whereas something that you just assume is gluten-free um, may not be as strict when it comes to that. But yeah, really interesting because um, I think it helps you then again to make more decisions about, okay, well, am I going to get the product, you know, the lentils that say may contain traces, when that is, you know, a really high risk product to be consuming. Um, fun fact there is actually, um, if you go to like health food stores and online, you can buy lentils, like dried lentils that don't have uh, may contain traces. So if you are looking for dried lentils, there is a brand, and I don't know off the top of my head, but there is a brand that um, is strictly gluten free. So keep your eyes out for that um then the other interesting thing which again is not super interesting because it's not that unfathomable but um when they looked at which foods were more likely to have cross-contamination or be contaminated with gluten when eating out are pizzas and pastas uh, whereas like meats and those sorts of things were less likely so again if you're wanting to be um really careful when you're eating out avoiding things like pizzas and pastas in facilities or in um, kitchens where there is likely to be gluten uh, contamination there because they are the higher risk and where you are going to see potentially more significant gluten exposure okay all right so I think that wraps up this episode Um, I've tried to jam as much as I can into 30 minutes Uh, But overall, my opinion when it comes to may contain traces statements is that how frequently you consume them and what you consume determines whether you can consume it or not um, when you're a celiac. So number one suggestion is to call the company. Like it's really easy. You just Google their number or often they'll have the number on their product ask them what their processes are around um avoiding cross-contamination of things like gluten hopefully you'll speak to somebody who actually knows what they're talking about if not see if you can find out and ask somebody else um and if you feel like the risk is low and if you feel like that um you it's a product that you very infrequently consume then um, you may choose to take that risk again as a dietitian I'm not advising you to do that this is like my legal statement of me saying I'm not advising you to consume any products that say may contain traces but you can decide you know what is the risk to you um, based on your risk adversity that you're willing to take essentially so yeah hopefully that (laughs) explains it um very complicated episode I feel like I've mumbled up my words a thousand times um but I hope you enjoyed it and I hope you learned something and um as i said earlier in the episode it's really helpful if you do like this episode if you share it with anyone who might find it useful let's get the word out there about this so that um celiacs feel a little bit less confused as to what they can and can't do um and yeah don't forget to tag me on social media at marika day or at fueled by marika day if you're sharing on social media thank you so much for tuning in and we'll be back with another episode next fortnight